Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Thanks for listening to Bleeding Daylight. There are links at bleedingdaylight.net to our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter accounts. Please share this and other episodes by word of mouth and through social media so that others can hear about the light breaking through darkness. Today's guest has a complex and difficult story, yet through it all, she maintains a strong reliance on something, in fact, someone far larger than her circumstances. Today's guest has faced sexual, physical and emotional abuse, as well as family tragedies and being diagnosed with a rare terminal condition, yet Through it all, she has faced the struggles of life head-on. Daisy Page has shared her story in the book Unexpected Moments. She's my guest today. Daisy, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thank you so much, Ronnie, for having me on your show. I suppose we should go back to the beginning and find out how was life for you growing up? I was really involved in church. My stepmother was the, the pianist. I really enjoyed going to church went to Bible camp every summer and also participated in every Bible drill that I possibly could. I loved reading the Bible. It was it was one of my favorite things to do as a child growing up. So faith was very important to you, and I guess we all get a different view of what faith might mean. But for some of us, we start to believe that if we're trusting in God, then everything's going to go right for us. But that wasn't your experience, was it? No, it wasn't, Rodney. Actually, that most of my childhood, I felt like I was being cursed for some reason. I did not understand why things were happening to me in the way they were. I was about nine years old, I suppose, when I found out that my real mother had died and my stepmother was not my mother. It wasn't much longer after that. I went ahead and accepted the Lord as my Savior and started trying to live right for God, beginning my days with Bible devotions and, and such, and trying to help him make me understand why things were the way they were. Because uh, sexual abuse began at eight years old. That must have been a terribly difficult time to go through. And I suppose even at that age, we wonder what is normal and what's not. Was there a sense right there that you understood that this abuse that you were facing was wrong? Or did you start to think, well, it must be something wrong with me? Well, Ronnie, that's a great question. Actually, my aunt caught it was my brother that was molesting me um the very first time that he did it and she just took us downstairs and prayed about it and I thought at that time I wasn't supposed to tell anyone else and then it continued so I thought this is just normal or I thought this was something that's supposed to happen I wasn't really quite sure and when did you start to realize this wasn't normal. This was something that you needed to, to tell someone else about. This was something that needed to stop. When I was 14, I was right. I began having you know major depression issues and um, tried to commit suicide, went into counseling. That's when I realized, hey, this isn't supposed to ha- this isn't life. This is not the way it's supposed to go. My father and my brother were brought in for a counseling session my counselor, you know, told me hey, there's something you need to share with your with your father. And I told him that, you know, my brother had been molesting me for four and a half years. 
that I was right. My, well, my brother got upset. And I said, why are you getting upset? Because he writes me, you, you know, you've been doing this for four and a half years. And he goes, oh, you just got it mixed up in your head. You're the ripe and you got, you know, it's just confusing you. It's not, it wasn't me. It happened one time and that was it. And what was the response from that? How did the councillor move that session forward with your brother actually denying that this actually happened? She asked my brother to leave and she tried to explain to my father that obviously that my brother was in denial and she truly believed that this happened, but my father did not believe it. So I just had to go on living with disbelief from him. And how was that for you? Most children want to be able to to trust their parents. They want to be able to trust those that are entrusted with their care, and especially a, a daughter and a father. How was it having him not believe you? It really made our relationship very difficult. Because also during that time, I had found out that I had been laced with PCP and LSD, so I was having some really, I don't know, some spells, so to speak. I'm not sure how to explain those, but there was about nine other girls at the school that were doing the same thing. We come to find out there was a boy that worked at the school store that was lacing things for, for, that we ordered because he asked us out and we, we, we wouldn't go out with him. I was trying to get out of the house. They did try to locate this gentleman once they and they investigated it for a couple of months, figured out what was going on. And when they tried to arrest the, the guy, um, he tried to shoot the police officer. So he was shot and killed. My brother did move out. Things got a little better between me and my father because my brother wasn't there anymore. But then as a, in my junior summer, I uh, ended up getting pregnant and had a a daughter, my first daughter, and as a senior in high school, about two months before graduation, still finished school. And so I was able to get out of the house and begin my own life, so to speak. But then my marriage ended eight and a half years later with three children because he was physically abusive. I did have a good boyfriend in high school after I was raped, and he really tried to help me get out of the house. He understood what was going on. He was trying to get me out of the house. But I would stand in the corner and pray when my husband beat me and say, please bring Wes back to me. He was the best thing that had ever happened to me. I wish I would have never let him go. Please just bring him back into my life. And God did. He brought him back. He helped me move out and get into my own three-bedroom apartment. And then he just left and he, he like disappeared. And I asked God, I said, why? Why is he gone? Why, why did you let him go? And he said, he did his job, Daisy. He came and he got you out of the situation that you would not have gotten out of. So therefore, he had done his job. So during these times, you are seeing glimpses of God stepping in as you continue to pray. You're seeing him stepping in with this ex-boyfriend to help you get out of this situation and then move away. But what's this doing to your faith at this stage? Growing up as a young girl, you're along to church as often as you can. You're going to Bible camps and your faith is strong, but life keeps hitting you back. Where does this take your faith at this point? I still try to stay strong. I still try to read my Bible and know that, you know, sometimes God puts us in situations to get our attention when we get off track. Sometimes we go through things for a reason. 
And when I was 14, he, I had rededicated my life. And when I did that, I heard God told me, I need you to share your story, Daisy. And I said, what story, God? I don't have a story to share. And he said, but one day you will. Here I am sharing that story now that I knew I had or I was going to have to share when I was 14 years old. The traumas didn't stop there. There was a number of things that, that continued to happen in your life. Take us further down that path. After my divorce from my husband, the father of my children, I was working and only making $8 an hour back then and trying to pay bills and raise three children. I was like, God, please help me with Christmas. I've, I don't have any way of providing for my children for Christmas. They know the true meaning. They know that it was Jesus' birthday. But I want to see the joy on their faces. I don't want to miss that this year. I love that. So one day the doorbell rang. And I opened it. When I, by the time I got to the door, there was a bicycle and a bunch of bags on the porch with tons of just toys and gifts and clothes for the kids. I hid everything, of course, and... A few days later, the doorbell rang again, and there was a lady standing there, and there was another bicycle and a couple of bags. And I said, did you come the other day? And she said, no, I'm just bringing this stuff today from an anonymous donor from our church. And I said, wow, you know, and Jesus and God provided for me and the children that year, and it was wonderful. So there, there are times when he steps in as earth angels, you know, and answers our prayers. Sometimes they're not answered in the way we think or want them to be answered but you just have to watch for signs listen listen for signs and he's there you just have to believe and have that faith I decided to join the army just to get a fresh start for me and the kids at 28 years old Rodney unfortunately that was short-lived as I um, busted my ACL and had to be discharged Physical therapy in the Army, I met a gentleman that was uh, in physical therapy as well from upstate New York. After he was discharged, I went up to New York to visit with him. Um, He and I, we spoke a lot during physical therapy, and he was a real big Christian and a believer. We talked about our faith. After being there for two weeks visiting, I loved it so much. And that wasn't until like the day before I left that he asked me to move up there. And, you know, he really wanted us to be a couple. We drove to Texas and got the kids and we moved up to New York. That gentleman, he never laid a hand on me. But after four and a half years, he assaulted me and fractured my skull. So here I was in New York with uh, no family, no one, but the church that we were involved in and my inner friend. And I fought unconsciousness the day that he, he hit me. And until my friend got there, when she got there, I just lost consciousness because I knew my children were going to be safe with her. I was in the hospital for a couple of days before I woke up and my friend said, good morning, sunshine. And I asked her how long had I been asleep, and she told me two days. And she said, you have a fractured skull, and you're leaking cerebrum fluid from your brain. So you'll probably be here for a while. I prayed every day, you know, God, keep my children safe while I'm in here, and keep me safe and give me a speedy recovery so I can get, get out to them. I was in the hospital for three weeks, but I did get out, and God provided he flew someone up from Texas to drive me 
and my oldest daughter in a U-Haul towing my car back to Texas and flew my younger two children home to their grandmother while we were on our way to Texas. My husband that I've been with now, we've been married happily for 12 years. We've known each other for 43 years, so he's been, you know, he's known a lot about my life. He's been there through a lot of it. Just a year ago, I was diagnosed with a rare terminal neurological condition. Four out of every 100,000 people are diagnosed with it. It's called MSA, multisystem atrophy. I'm about in my fourth, fourth year now. It has a lifespan of five to seven years. You did mention that all those years ago, God said to you that at one time you will write your story, and you didn't have a story then. But what was the catalyst for you to start writing this story? The book is forwarded by Kirk Cameron. I met Kirk Cameron in Texas in last fall. I went to his event. I got to go up on stage with him and ask him if he could help me out of my wheelchair in order to take a picture with him because I didn't want to take one in my wheelchair. And he, he did. He helped me out of that. And he asked me, you know, what was wrong with you? And I said, I have MSA. And I gave him a bracelet. And I said, here's the website. You can go on and you can research it. It is a terminal. It's a rare terminal condition. Well, after the event, you, you know, you go outside to some campfires. He came over to me and he knelt down beside my wheelchair and he grabbed both my hands. He says, Daisy, can I pray for you? And I said, absolutely. He prayed for me. I told him, I said, God has told me my time here is nearly over. I have to tell my story from the beginning first. He said, how do you plan on doing that? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, Daisy, why don't you write a book? And I said, I guess I could do that. And he said, yeah, write a book. Here's my email address. Keep me posted on, you know, where that you're going, where it's at. And so the very next day, I started writing the book. Three months later, I was done. That's how the story became a book. And, of course, there are other things that we haven't even touched on that, that are in that book. There are things such as uh, a suspected murder, a, a family suicide. Tell me about those elements of the story. First of all, let me tell you, the story starts six months prior to my birth because my mother passed away when I was six months old. She was killed in a car accident during her work. She escorted oversized loads. That morning when she left, her and my father were fighting, so they didn't even tell each other goodbye. And my brother, that was part of the reason why he abused me. He told me it was my fault that my mother died. And if I would have never have been born, that she would still be alive. And that he was going to continue to be mean to me because of that. And then my father, he was running in an election in 1994. So I was 20 years old. He was getting threatened in phone calls and he was telling me about it. The night that he died, he had gotten a threatening phone call telling him what he was wearing and that he'd better watch his back. Well, he was found underneath of a car crushed early in the morning hours, and uh, we had the car 
inspected and there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. And when we were videoing it, it was up on a lift and we were videoing this. The mechanic was saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. This mark here is from a jack being kicked out from underneath of the car. About a week later, that mechanic was killed. We started receiving threatening phone calls um, telling us, you know, to stay out of it if, unless we wanted someone else to be hurt or killed. And we just kept pressing and pressing. And the district attorney that was running in an election, I went to him as an attorney prior to him being district attorney and asked him, I said, you know, can you help me? Will you help me investigate this when you're a district attorney if you win? And he promised me that he would. He had him, my dad exhumed, but it was three and a half years later. The autopsy came back inconclusive because the casket was not sealed properly. He was too decomposed for a conclusive autopsy. When the body was exhumed, the threatening phone calls started back up. Every time we would report that we were getting threatening phone calls, the police would put a tap on our phone and they would stop until they were taken off and then they would start up again so someone from inside knew what was going on how did that make you feel for your own safety during this time if you were getting these threatening calls and your belief was that they were not just making threats but they were likely to carry these threats through i was very scared for myself and my family the election that he was running in he was uncovering a lot of crooked events. The mayor had been mayor for 20 years, and it was like he was paying off people to stay in office. And he was running a very, very corrupt ordeal in the city. He was embezzling money and things like that. My father had, had found out and had uncovered. Like the mayor, he was, he was replaced, and a new mayor was elected. My dad's death happened a week prior to the election, and even though he died, they had to keep his name on the ele- on the ballot because it was too close to the election to take off. And so my father, he ended up winning that election. He was, co- he was considered the first dead man on the ballot to win an election. And I can only imagine because he was a firefighter, he was a paramedic, he was a police officer, he was a peace officer. He was a very upstanding citizen that he would have done great things for that county had he lived. But yes, Ronnie, it made me very scared for my family and our safety. All these things that that are happening to you, as you say, you maintain your faith, you have this walk with God, you continue to pray, you continue to press into him. And now you've written this story that, that goes through so many of the things that you have faced through the abuse that you faced, and yet there's this faithfulness, this understanding that God is not bringing these things, but is helping you through them. And yet for the last 12 years, you, you've been together with your husband, and this hasn't stopped things that have have continued to impact your life, such as this diagnosis. How does it actually affect you day to day? It's kind of like Parkinson's. I lost control of my coordination and was falling a lot, shaking a lot. So I had not worked since last February and I was always working. I was a very hard worker. My husband had to quit working to take care of me. 
I'm 100% reliable on him. I cannot get up and down out of a chair or out of the bed. I have a bedside potty that he helps me get up and get onto in the middle of the night if I have to. I can't roll over. He has to roll me over. I have to wake him up and ask him to roll me over. Um, it's a very difficult situation. He has to cut my food up for me. It's hard to swallow. Sometimes I get choked a lot. Doctor's appointments are very difficult because we have to transfer me from the wheelchair to the car and then from the car to the wheelchair. And they're about two hours away, the doctor's appointments are. So it's just quite a toll on me to travel. It just made life difficult. And I believe now, though, that I went through things I did because God made me strong enough so I can't handle what I've got to face. Since my book, I have uh, been having a lot of dreams about heaven, Rodney. And every dream I have, I just am am at more and more at peace. There's all these difficult things that happen in your life, but there's obviously those happier moments. Tell me about life together with your husband at the moment. My husband at the moment, I've known since I was five years old. He's very laid back. Our faiths are a little different. He's the one that blames God for everything. And I've tried to tell him, no, I don't blame God for anything. You know, um, there's a reason for everything. And he's going to answer our prayers. He, you know, his, he lost his mother in 2016. So he's had a really tough time with faith since then. And I tell him, yeah, we prayed for your mother's healing. And maybe not the healing that we you wanted or I wanted. But you know what? Your mom's healed. She's no longer hurting. She's got eternal life. She got what we prayed for. I mean, you never may get prayers answered the way you think they should be answered. But God answers those prayers. I just keep telling him and I keep praying for him that God will give him the faith. My daughter comes over, she's 31, she comes over two nights a week from four to eight and gives him a break, but other than that, that's the only person that he will let come and take care of me and give me, give him just a little bit of a break so he can mow the yard or go to the grocery store, things like that, you know. But yeah, we're happily married and we were pretty much best friends beforehand. So he, there's in my, in my book, my husband is in there quite a bit beforehand, you know. In 10th grade, I asked him to the Sadie Hawkins dance, and he told me no. And then when I was divorced in 2000, he asked me out, and I told him no. I said, you you told me no, so I'm telling you no. He actually helped me that Christmas when I got all those gifts for my children. He came over to my apartment, and he helped me get everything set up and put the toys together that needed to be put together. And we went to the grocery store, and his mother was in line in front of us, and she told the cashier, she said, don't they make such a cute couple? I said, Trish, we are not a couple. And she said, maybe not yet, but one of these days you will be. Mothers know best. When we got together, she was the happiest woman in the world. She told me, I remember that day I told you that I knew y'all were going to be together. You were meant to be. So she and he had been in and out of my life quite a bit, which is really, I think, kind of neat. And what's been the response to the book? Now that it's been released for a while, what are people saying who have read the book? Well, the reviews that I've gotten, 
They're all five stars, and they're saying that they can't put it down, that it's very inspirational, and that they can't imagine how someone can go through the things that they went through and remain faithful to God and have that faith. And that must be really quite a comfort to you, knowing that God had told you so long ago that you will tell your story, you've been able to do that, and it's being a a blessing for many others. It has. It really has. If you would like, I wouldn't mind reading a, a review or so so you can see what people are actually thinking and saying about the book that have read it. Yeah, that would be wonderful. This very first one here. The author is courageous to tell the secrets she had to live with and endure. These lifetime experiences reveal the great loss of loved ones as well as the loss of her innocence. Through it all, she was reminded constantly of the one certain truth she could always depend on and lean on, which was God. May God continue to bless Daisy Page to live the rest of her days in peace. Another one, wow, I couldn't put this book down. I felt a part of the author's journey through reading her experiences. Such riveting detail. The roller coaster ride of fear, emotion, loss, joy, love, and most importantly, endurance draws you closer to the experiences shared throughout the book. Many obstacles faced and throughout it all, God was always there. It's a beautiful reminder that when all seems lost in this world, God always knows the way. We just need to lay down our pride and follow in His footsteps. I want to ask, since the book has been released, and you tell your story quite plainly in that story, what has been the response from family members? So, for instance, your brother, as you've released this book. That is another great question. Since it's an autobiography, you have to get the permission of people to write in your stories. And to protect my family because of some of the other circumstances, I've changed the names of characters in the book. But has there been a, a response from some family members as to, to what went on? Maybe some that have not realized that all this was happening in the background? Yes. No, there have been several family members that I did come out to a couple of years ago and let them know what had happened. And so they've read this book and they've been like, my goodness, I, I can't believe that I didn't see this. Like one of my cousins, he said, I seen one of his ex-girlfriends at the gas station one time and I asked her, you know, because they seemed very happy. What, what happened? Why did they break up? And she told me he raped her. He goes, so I always had a kind of inkling that something was wrong with him, as in a sexual manner. But yeah, a lot of family have been really supportive that that do know the true story. And some have been like, why did you wait so long to tell it? And I said, I didn't think I was supposed to. Now they know, and they're like, I'm so sorry we, we weren't there for you and that you felt that you couldn't tell us. I said, but that's okay. I always had God, and I'm not writing this book for pity. I, I want to inspire others to know that if they go through these kinds of circumstances, that there's one person that they can always count on, and that is their Father. That is God above. He's always there. I wrote a poem 20 years ago and actually had it published. 
I put it in the book. And to me, it says a lot. It's called eternal love. And endless days and sleepless nights as we go through our constant fights, do we really get what we see or is it totally up to me? Struggling through our trying times, burdened by the price of crimes, truly as each day ends, know that God's your only friend. As footprints in the sand did say, He really carries us all the way. Know this, for it is up to you. He already knows what you should do. Find your faith from heaven above, then you will have eternal love. That's lovely. It really goes to the heart of what you've been sharing with us. And I'm wondering if people are wanting to get hold of the book or to, to contact you, where should they go? Well, I want to first I want to tell you that 10% of all the proceeds of the, of the book will go to charity for MSA, Defeat MSA, to help fund a cure for this beast of a disease. The place that I would like for you to go to to purchase the book if you do is X-L-I-B-R-I-S dot com and you can type in Unexpected Moments by Daisy Page and you can get it there. We'll put the link to that bookstore in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find that easily and be able to get hold of that book and, and read your story. Daisy, it's been incredible to talk to you, to hear some of the things that you've faced and yet the strength of your faith all the way through it. So I want to say thank you for being a guest today on Bleeding Daylight. Oh, I want to thank you for having me and help me to get my story out there because that's what I want to do. I want to inspire others to keep their faith and hold on no matter what. God's got you. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.